you feel healed just before service wave your hand just like that she was crippled with kidney pain already been to the doctor had a lot of speculations and questions but prayer was made and she said the pain has left my body that was before we ever started service I mean oh there's a healer in the building and his name is Jesus amen 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 Let's return to our seats. Let's not sit, but let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. The book of John, chapter 15, verse 13. So good to have everybody today. We've obviously broken a little bit of protocol. Let's get right in the the scripture. We're going to take time for what God's doing. Amen. We're going to take time for what God's doing. I mean, no, we don't want to just run through a service like Taco Bell. You get out of here just feeling good and nothing's changed. We didn't let a move of God happen among us. Let him soften the hardened hearts. Let him heal the sick bodies. Let him save the lost soul. Can I get a witness from somebody that wants a move of God at the anchor? You want God to move among us. Tonight's going to be epic. You do not want to miss tonight. If you've made plans, change it. You made plans to be somewhere else. Change it. Be at the anchor tonight. It's going to be, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be a crusade service. There are going to be healings, miracles, and God's going to fill everybody with the Holy Ghost that wants it tonight. Come on, do you believe that? Everybody that wants the Holy Ghost is going to get it tonight. It's the outpouring. It's the outpouring. It's going to be like 2009, but it's going to be greater. We saw 500 people get the Holy Ghost in one year, baptized 350 people. Now we, got, now we have seven other campuses around and two other global missions works that are happening now because of that revival. God is doing it again in Zanesville. I'm telling you, God is doing it in Zanesville. I'm glad to be a part of what the God is doing right now. Now I want you to look at two or three people and tell them this is God's house, not your house. This is about him and not about you. Amen. Do what he wants you to do. And he's going to do what you can't do. This is God's house. Everybody shout, we are in God's house. John, man, I feel like shouting. Somebody just gave their life to the Lord. Nothing excites me more. Nothing excites me more. Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah. We got some going to be baptized today. That's so exciting. Amen. We got some more going to be baptized today. We're baptizing about every service. Somebody in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. This is the last harvest before the trumpet sounds. This is it. This, this is it. The, the door's open. This is going to shut and it's over. This is it. There's a verse. Just I know we stood a long time. Just stand with me for a minute. I'll let you sit down. There's a verse, and I'm not going to read it, but the verse says that the angel is going to have the sickle put in his hands. One more time. The sickle goes to the field. It's the harvest sickle. It's the gathering sickle. It's, it's what's gathering the harvest. We are, right now, the sickle is in the angel's hand. This is it. 
This is the last call. This is the last call of the harvest and backsliders. And we've seen it. I, I've watched it happen in 2009. I'm telling you, this is it. This is the last harvest. It's going it's to blow up. There's a short window in the, in the North American church where millions are going to come to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Then, then it's over. Trumpet sounds, we're out of here. But this is it. We are standing in the harvest. We're not waiting on it. It's here. We've already entered it. We're entered it. Sickle. You're not here by accident. God brought you here today. Everybody in the room's here by the mercy and the grace of God. Do you believe that? We're here because God brought us here. We didn't deserve to be here, but Calvary brought us here. The hand of God brought us here. It's a meeting place. I hear in my spirit Samson saying, God, move up on me. Move up on me this once. Do it one more time. Avenge me in my eyes, oh God. The devil's done everything he can to destroy me, but God, I'm reaching out one more time for you to save me. That's what I feel and that's what I hear today. Now what I'm going to teach you in the next few minutes is going to open the door to your families. It's going to open the door to your neighbors. It's going to open the door to your ministries. It's going to open the door to you having a harvest in your life of people that you love. Do you believe that? Let's just read a simple verse and I'll move on. John 15 and 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends the Lord said to me to tell you if you would just learn to have sacrifice in your life he said the element that's missing in so many people here today there's no sacrifice no sacrifice and he said if you would allow sacrifice in your life And I'm going to teach what sacrifice is. He said it would open the door up. Open the door up in your world to the blessings and the favor of God. But you've always lived just enough convenience to not sacrifice. I'd like to preach for the next few moments. Come with me to the sacrifice. Come with me to the sacrifice. Would you open your hands and tell God, I'm sorry for not sacrificing? I'm sorry for not giving the way I should and my time, my talent, my treasure. I'm sorry for being convenienced and making everything about me. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. You may be seated. They call it the widow's might. Jesus, in his teaching, standing in the temple, a wealthy man gave a lot of money. And a widow gave two mites. He said to his disciples, he turns to them and Sister Kathy, he said, who gave more? Well, it certainly appears that the wealthy guy that, I remember being at a meeting when I was a boy and a guy had a $50 bill and he'd wave it like that. He did. When the usher come down the aisle, he was waving that. You think that pleased God? That didn't please God. He's trying to please people. He's waving the 50. Put it in there because he had money. He had money. He wanted everybody to know he had money. The Bible says that you should let your left hand know what your right hand's giving. How many know it's true? Because it's not to be done openly. It's to be done where? 
You ought to have enough coffee this morning. How many know it's supposed to be done in secret? When you give alms, you give it how? Give it secret. When you fast, he said, wash your face. Wash your face when you fast. You know, you know, don't wash your face. Your hair's all messed up. I don't have to worry about that. Don't wash your face. Your hair's all crooked and sideways. You come in all sloped down. Hoping somebody say, are you sick? Nope. No, I'm, not, I'm not sick. Boy, sure look peaky. Look, look pretty bad today. You must be fasting. Oh, I'm, I wasn't going to tell you. The Bible says wash your face, anoint your head. Why? Because it's to be done in secret. It's between you and the Lord. If, if, if you go tell people how long you fasted, how much you gave, how many hours you prayed. He said, you've already got your reward. How many know that? We're supposed to pray in secret. He said, don't, don't, just, don't just go pray openly where people see, but go pray in the privacy of your home. And the Bible called it the prayer closet. Growing up as a kid, I pictured a literal closet, you know, my closet. I had to go pray. But it's talking about a, a secret place. Everybody say the secret place. It's a secret place with God. And, and here, this, here this guy, this wealthy man, everybody must have been able to see how much he gave. He, he, he put it in. And probably people look around and said, oh, I wish I could give that much. I wish, oh, if I had as much money that I can give like that. All of a sudden, here come this widow woman. She's on a budgeted income, and she drops in two mites. Just, just two pennies, if you will. Just insignificant, comparable probably to the budget or what, what, what could it be used for. But, but Jesus said, who gave who gave more? Oh, y'all know the answer. It, it wasn't the wealthy man. It wasn't the guy that gave out of his source. It was the woman that gave all. The difference is one word. She sacrificed and he did it. He gave more, but really he gave less. Because for her, she had to do without to give it. She had to give up something to give it. When she gave all, she had to, she had to do without something to give it. That is Sacrifice. It's when it's not when you when you just write a check and you don't even miss it and you put it in the you put it in the bank account and and uh, that that it put it into the offering. You know, thank God that people give, but there's a moment that in us that there's got to be a love for God. There's got to be a love for the kingdom. That we're not just doing financial things just because it's just routine. It's just what we do. We just drop in the plate, but. Moments that we give up something, we, we're laying it down. That means you can't buy the boat. You, you can't maybe go on the vacation yet. That means you, you, you won't be able to eat lunch for three days at work. Why? Because you sacrificed. You, you did without so somebody else could do with. That is sacrifice. Are you hearing me today? Amen. You, you look at Jesus, look at his disciples in Matthew 24. And uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16. He makes a statement to them. And, and uh, they, they, he makes a powerful statement. He's talking about the church and, and uh, building his church upon the rock. Everybody say the rock. Amen. And when he makes a statement, he, he looks at his disciples and he says, he charged them. He said, if any man come after me, if any man come after me, he's got to what? He's got to deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. If we're not careful, 
we will think that going to church once a week did God a big service. And truth of the matter is, we didn't, we didn't really have to give up much to, to go there. We, we, just, we just go to church and go through the routine and we go home. And, and uh, you know, you said your prayer, but the fact of the matter is, it was about seven seconds over, now I lay me down to sleep, or it was uh, one of those, you know, now thank God for my food. And you feel like you've done service because you gave God attention over the food. You know, I believe in praying over food. You ought to pray before you go to bed. But there's got to be a moment that you're giving up something to give him something. That you're giving up an hour's sleep to get on your face and pray and seek God. That you wake up in the middle of the night and you get on your knees and start calling some people's names out. And you're saying, that doesn't sound wise. God wouldn't want me to miss any sleep. Would he not? Would he not? Well, I'm going to pray when I find time and you can't find any time. I'm, I'm going I'm to fast when I'm not working and you're working all the time. I'm going to give when, you know, we're going to give when we win the lottery. You should be playing the lottery, amen. No, no, it don't work that way. If I ever get the bonus, then I'm going to give to God. I'll give the missions if I ever, if I ever get things paid off. It doesn't work that way. And you got to look at your budget and you begin to, begin to say, I'm going to bless a missionary. And I realize that we're going to have to have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a week, but I'm going to give, I'm going to give 10 or 15 or 20, 25, $30. I'm going to give it to a missionary. That means I can't do it. That is sacrifice. And what I'm saying to the congregation, which I feel to teach you today, I believe that when we fast, we should be thinking about the poor people that do not have any food. That when we go without, we're thinking about people that can't afford to buy a meal. And to think that in blessed America, that there's homelessness and there's hunger and children doing without food. I think we should go without every now and then to know what it's like to have some hunger pains grouchy every now and then because you didn't get enough to eat. We go on a fast and we can't stop drinking coffee and we think God's okay with it. There's got to be a moment you put off everything pleasure and say, God, I'm coming to the sacrifice. I'm laying some things down because, Lord, I want to understand what it's like. Paul made a statement. He said, he said that I may know him. As a teenager, this was probably the most impactful verse of my teenage years. Growing up in an apostolic home. Growing up in an apostolic church. Cindy, he healed my body before I could ever repent. Too young to even know what repentance was. He healed my body because of mom and daddy's prayers. Lived in mom and daddy's house. They paid the bills. They were blessed. I was blessed just being in their house. Go to a blessed church with a move of God. The peace of God. I remember growing up going to my friends' houses. Back then, back then we believed it was okay going to stay in all night with people's houses. That's probably a bad choice. Let your kids go stay at some godless atmosphere. Some, some, somebody that met at school, you don't even know the parents. You don't even know the kids, but you trust your kids. Don't trust your kids. Put them in an atmosphere they're too young to make good decisions about. You know what I'm talking about. I don't let my kids. Very, very rare situation they stay anywhere. They stay at my house. I've listened to a lot of teaching because a lot of bad things happen to young kids in other people's houses. And I remember back in those days, my parents did because the mindset back then was the village raises the kid. How many has ever heard that term? You don't want the village raising your kid. God didn't give you a kid for the village to raise a kid. It was the mindset just go to anybody's house and stay anywhere and let your kids stay all night. You trust everybody. But there's a lot of chaos because of that. There's a lot of abuse and a lot of exposure. And uh, your kids end up seeing things they wouldn't see at your house. They'll see at somebody else's house. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
And so even, even what you think may be a trusted atmosphere isn't always the best atmosphere. And what I'm preaching to you right now is, is we, we, we allow our kids just to go and be here and be there and be everywhere. That's not the will of God. They're your children. He didn't give them to somebody else to raise. Can you say amen? They're your kids. They're your kids. Let me say what? Let me say this to you right now. It is the will of God that we control the atmosphere that they're in. Well, that's their room. No, it's not. You're paying the light bill. How many's ever seen those signs of the door? Beware, do not enter, danger. He's 15. I was talking to somebody the other day that was telling me about they grew up in a house and no bedrooms had the door on them. Probably better off. Well, we need to give them their space. Enough space to destroy their life. Enough space to have idle time for the devil to reach in through devices. and Boy, you know I'm preaching right. You know I'm preaching right. You know I'm telling you the truth. Well, it was just a video game. And look what they're buying on the video games. Drugs and sexuality and violence. Chaos. Under the name of entertainment. I remember as a boy growing up and going to my buddy's house and, you know, kids want to hang out with their friends. That's just natural for a teenager. Am I right or wrong? Come on. Are y'all hearing what I'm preaching? End up going to a house and see things you wish you'd never seen. And I remember going to houses where people didn't know God and love God. And I lay awake in the middle of the night thinking, I don't feel any peace here. I don't feel any love of God here. They're nice people. They do immoral things. They're nice people. But they're not righteous people. And I wake up 6 a.m. in the morning wondering how wonder of God's come yet. I want the trumpet sound. I couldn't wait to call my parents, hear the voice of the under the line, and just feel hope again in the presence of God and the love of God. I'm going to tell you, I grew up in the presence of God in my house and in the church house. I grew up with the peace of God and the joy of God. Aren't you thankful for parents that love God? Aren't you thankful for people that love the things of God? Amen. They guard the door. They guard who's friends. Oh, I feel like preaching for a moment. They guard the who in your world. They say no to the wrong people. Yes, to the right people. What I'm preaching to you on this Sunday morning and you parents that are here today, none of us have been perfect in training up our children. None of us can look over. You know, they say your first kid's your practice kid. You're learning. You're trying, Brother Cody. You got to try your best. It's not going to be perfect, but you try your best. But over a period of time, we've all made mistakes. But you know what would be good? If we all stood up right now as parents and repented for some things we've done wrong. Come on, I'm being dead serious. I think we ought to stand up and say, I wish I'd have never trusted them. I wish I'd never. If I knew then what I know now, I'm just a kid raising kids in reality. But God, forgive me. Come on, every parent in the building, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. For being ignorant, unwise, not doing this right. Come on, that's it. God, for not balancing time and money and church. What's going to happen to our kids if we don't balance things right? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Somebody shout time. You may be seated. I don't believe that, that, that church should be the only event that you and your family go to. Let me meddle, but let me be on point as well. I have preacher kids that aren't in church today that I grew up with. You know why? Every vacation was a conference. Every vacation was a camp meeting. 
Every vacation, they didn't balance. They didn't take the kids fishing and to a theme park, let them ride a roller coaster and, you know, whatever. And typically what happens in those families is they're telling their kids what to do and never showing their kids how to do it. So you need to worship. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. But there's no, won't you come worship with me? Won't you come and pray with me? Why don't you read your Bible with me? Everybody shout with. Everybody say with. with. It is the nature of God for you not just to, God never intended, Hunter, for you just to, well, there it is, son. You need to read it and obey it. Grab it. Just do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to burn. Aren't you glad I smiled when I said burn? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But God doesn't do this. He didn't just hand a preacher and get up. If you don't obey it, you're going to burn. No, it's different than that. The preacher's job is to lead you to him. So you can walk with him. You know, my kids, my kids are born with no clothes on. Naked they came in the world. They didn't have a clue what language they were going to speak. Somebody, somebody adopted a baby that was a real young baby. It was for, you know, an, uh, from another country. And they said, I wonder if that baby's going to be able to speak English. <laughs> you know, you can't fix that. There's no pill for that. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're not selling that at the pharmacy. I mean, no, that's the truth. You know. They learn by who parents them. Not one of my kids came out and said, Hey, Dad, want to go fishing? Hey, Dad. They didn't do it. When they came out, we had these moments like, Aaron, guess what? What, what, was, what happened? What happened? Lakin rolled over today. Woohoo! We called the grandparents. Guess what? Lakin rolled over. From more four months on, how many know it's the graduation? It's my brother called me. He's got a three-month-old. He said, she said, Dad, Dad, Mama. He's convinced of it. Of course, my dad thought my kid said it at two months old. I heard him say, I love, I heard her say, I love Papa. I'm like, and you're blessed with the gift of interpretation. That baby was talking in tongues when it came out of the womb. <laughs> Reach up, sitting on a bed, fluffy blankets around. They're slobbering. They're smiling at you and you're hoping it's not something else. holding on to your thumbs, setting up, and they let go. <laughs> but finally, they set up on their own. Dad, Dad, she's set up today. She's set up all by herself. Now you got cameras and FaceTime. My kids were little. We had Skype. Y'all remember what that was? The 
look, 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 look. Celebrating growth. And I'm a dad. I'm so excited. I'm jumping up and down. Cindy, you remember these moments sitting on the floor? And I'm sitting on one side. And a few steps away, you're on your knees on the other side. And we're just doing it like this. Come on. Come on. Well, I sometimes wish they were small again. Come on, till they have those diapers. You know what I'm talking about? Then I'm glad they're grown up a little bit. Amen. Come on. Come on. Come on. And here they come. Hey, and we reach out and grab their hands. So they took the first step. I was here when they did it. That's right. We got them before they really took that first step. But we want them to. We want them to walk. And what we're doing is, as parents, it's in us to celebrate growth. And we're disappointed when they do it without us being there. Because the nature of a parent is to be with the kids to show them the way. Amen. And if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? It is in the nature of God not to put you over here with somebody else with your kid. No, it's the nature of God himself come off the throne. Walk down in your world, Brother Hunter. He said, I'm going to teach you how to walk. I'm going to teach you how to talk. I'm going to teach you how to live holy. I'm going to teach you how to be pure. This getting up and badgering over the head that you're not good enough isn't in the book. Let me tell you, God wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. And he wants to be in you. Clap your hands and shout hallelujah. Brother Cody, this is God's house. David said, I want to build a house that you dwell in. He said, we live in sealed houses, houses with ceilings. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. He said, but God, you still live in a tent. You know, God doesn't need a tent. Can I also tell you, God doesn't need a building? Heaven's his throne. And the earth is his footstool. If he doesn't need a place to dwell, then why are we building him a building? We call it a church and we say it's God's house. I'm going to tell you why. Because we need a place to where we gather with him. A place where the body of Christ collaboratively comes together. And all of a sudden while we begin to sing verses like he inhabits the praises of his people. And you feel the presence of God come in here with you. It's not to condemn you. It's to draw you closer to him. It's to teach you. Come on. It's to walk with you. It's to lead and to guide you. God celebrates your growth today. I feel like preaching. I feel like preaching to somebody in this room. Understand the value of your parenting. But base what you do parenting on what God does for you as your heavenly father. You know what he did? He gave his life so you could live. Come on. He came down so you could get up. He put himself last so you could be first. Is there anybody hearing me right now? He gave so you could receive. He did without so you could have. He's our father. And what he was saying is my cross produced sons. 
That's why John won. John won. It says it this way. John won. It says he came into his own, and his own received him not. But Brother Brian, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And Brother Nutter, the Bible says even which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You know, it's, it's like this. They grew up in church, and they rejected him. They grew up a Jew, and they didn't accept him. They grew up religious, and they didn't take time for him. So he says, I'm going to go find somebody that will love me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go find somebody that's never tasted of the Holy Gift. I'm going to go find somebody that, that, that doesn't appreciate, that doesn't know to appreciate the presence, my presence. You know what happens? All of a sudden, some drunk out of the ditch that gets the gospel for the very first time. He comes to church, and he doesn't know anything about Acts 2.38. He doesn't know anything about the oneness of God. He doesn't know anything about going to church on Sunday. But somebody reached out to him. When he got to the house of God, he said, thank He's like, what's that I feel? Why, why am I crying? What's happening to me? What is that? Why am I shaking inside? What's that warmness over my spirit? And the Lord said, that's, that's my presence. Oh, oh God, I want you to change me. I'm a sinner in your holiness. I can tell that I'm unrighteous. Can I tell you the holiness of the priest was not marred by the unholiness of the people he ministered to. Whatever the holy touches becomes holy. The unholy doesn't make the priest unholy. It's when the holy touches the unholy, then that becomes sanctified. Aren't you glad that while we were sinners, he reached down and touched us when we were dirty and filthy and unclean? Oh, yeah. And when he touched me, it sanctified me. When he touched me, it changed me. Come on, is there anybody in the building that says, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was unclean, but now I'm clean. Somebody shout hallelujah. Brother Burns, he didn't call us out of the world to make us holy and better than everybody. Look at me now. I'm better than you. Then doctrines come up like the doctrine of election. Calvinism it's called. It's a doctrine of hell. It's a doctrine from hell. It says only the wealthy are saved. If you're saved, you're wealthy. No, if you're saved, you're going to be better off. But Jesus had, the foxes had holes, the birds had nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Only thing he owned at the crucifixion was the garment on his body, and they stripped it from him, and they gambled for it at the foot of the cross. The doctrine of election says nothing you can do to be saved. And nothing you can do to be lost. And what the doctrine says is God already handpicked you. Sorry about you. He hated you. But he loves him before any decision made. If that would be true, then why does the Bible say that he's not willing that any should perish? But that all, somebody shout all, all should come to repentance. If that's true, then why did all the sinners and all the publicans come to him? Why was it that all the sinner folks in town flocked to Jesus and all the religious people criticized him? 
You know why? Because in him was love. In him was grace. He didn't have a long finger pointing in judgment. My dad would say it this way, looking down their long, egotistical, hawk-billed noses. I've been on about three weeks in a row. But religious, religious never changed anybody. Just get up and do it. Just listen to what I'm telling you. Just, just obey me. That's not doing it. Let me tell you what does it. It's when you feel the hand of God reach down and say, let me teach you how to do it. Let me show you how to live. Let me show you my way. It's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is the Word and the Spirit. Watch this. Be seated for a moment. Let me just hit something. I, 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 I got to move forward. Somebody shout amen. God's not against you. God's not against us. He's for us. I taught last Sunday something. I talked about the feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and I talked about the feast of Tabernacles. How many remember that last Sunday? Hit a Sunday morning, Sunday night. Those were the three pilgrimage feasts. The Passover represented the blood. Pentecost represented the word or spirit. Because of that, on the day of Pentecost, represented Mount Sinai, where, where the law was given. The law was given. Somebody shout the law. 120. Stay with me. Are y'all with me? Can you, can, you, can you divert from what I'm preaching just for a point? Let's jump down on Mount Sinai. Don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die. 120 trumpeters, sound of the trumpet. Moses sends up into the mountain and he receives the law. Everybody say the law. 3,000, Brother Cade, died that day because they touched the mountain. 3,000 died. Let's go to the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover was Mount Sinai. 50 days after the, after the death of Jesus was what? Everybody shout Pentecost. Passover. Pentecost, watch this. How many people were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? 120. How many were added to the church on the day of Pentecost? 3,000. Where were they at? In an upper room. And the Spirit of the Lord descended upon that place, did it not? And when it did, cloven tongues like as if fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now watch, watch, watch. Learn and watch. Watch and learn. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Anytime God's Spirit starts moving, His Word starts speaking. That's why we have Word. Worship Him in Word and Spirit, or Spirit and. Somebody shout with me. Amen. In the beginning was the, and the Word was, and the Word. Verse 14, and the word was made and dwelt among us. My goodness. So you got the three feasts, the feast of the Passover, the feast of weeks or Pentecost, and you got the feast of tabernacle. Tabernacle represents water, the rock. Water coming out of the rock in the, in the wilderness. The Bible tells us in 1 John that there's three that bear record in heaven. 
the blood, the water, and the spirit. And these three are one. And what happens is when God comes in, he washes you with his blood. He fills you with his spirit. And he satisfies you with his water. And it's God doing it all by himself. Come on. I don't care where you've been, and I don't care what you've done. I come to tell you there's enough blood at Calvary to wash you clean. There's enough of his spirit to give you his word and to teach you his law and enough water to satisfy you for the rest of your life. Stand to your feet as I close. Amen. What does it mean, come with me to the sacrifice? Because God never intended for you to just be saved. Paul made a statement. He said, Timothy, my son. Timothy was not his biological child. It was his spiritual son. He said also to Timothy, he said, Timothy, these words will not only save you, but it's going to save them that hear you. And the reason many of you have never begot sons, never have fruit of somebody else being saved, is this reason. Because you've never really sacrificed You have enough prayer for you and what you want, but not enough time to give up something for what somebody else needs. You've got to get a burden for the lost around you. The reason we don't fast is because we're really not hungry for what God wants. Are y'all hearing me preach today? Maybe it appears I've shotgun preached, hit points here, parenting, this, this. Really what I'm preaching and teaching is that you deny yourself so somebody else can benefit. I believe God blesses you at tithing. I really do. Give 10% of all your increase. I believe that. Part of membership here is tithing. We believe that. I believe the scripture was pre-law, during the law, post-law. But the Pharisees tithe just enough. What he was saying is they just did what was asked. The sacrifice goes beyond. Why? Because somebody else needs the benefit from my sacrifice. Fasting, yeah, there's times we fast for us, but there's other times we fast for somebody else. The Bible says, is this not the fast that I've chosen to set the captive free? Are y'all hearing me today? Here's a big question. What's going to happen to your family if you don't live for God? Probably the most shaking verse upon my parenthood is when Brother Raymond Woodward taught a session. Simply about the next generation. And this is what he said, Brother Nehemiah. I was thankful today about Parker and Jay and Ray running up to me and the love of God all over them. They're benefiting from your walk with God. While your knee is bent, Sister Wendy's knee is bent, blessing the Lord's being poured over them. They get up here, you know why they do this and they pray and you hear little Jay in the prayer room, oh God, let them move with the Spirit tonight at church, oh God. You know how he learned that? Hearing Papa pray. With is when God looked at Solomon 
who was destroying his ministry with strange women. And he said, I told you. He said, now I'm going to tell you. He said, well, watch what he says. He said, I'm going to bless you for your dad's sake. But your kids are not going to know me. Did y'all hear that? I hope that trembles you the way it trembled me. And I thought it's possible, and it's not the first time I've made this point. But it's possible, Cindy, that you and I are both blessed because of the sacrifice of our parents. I was over there praying today, thanking God for the elders of the church. Faithful, faithful. You don't have to worry about them not ever being here. Faithful. I was thinking about Paul Nutter today. I was over there kneeling where you're, you're sitting, Sister Teresa. Paul Nutter, morning after morning, praying 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, day after day after day. Brother Melik, these elders has prayed for 77 years in this church, seeking God, faithful in giving, faithful in attendance, faithful in prayer, faithful in fasting. I think, is it possible that we're blessed because of somebody else's sacrifice? And he said, Solomon, he said, I'm going to bless you because your daddy's altar, but your kids won't know me because you don't have an altar of sacrifice. You chose immorality over me. You chose culture over me. I started thinking when I heard that preacher preaching. I thought my daddy would fast for 10 days. Sold, sold everything he had twice to plant churches. It's possible. I'm your pastor today with an anointing of God above my life because of my daddy and mama's prayers. But something's got to move upon me. If there's going to be blessing that gets from me to these men and from me to my children, I have to have my own altar of sacrifice. So today, why would we sacrifice? Why would we give up lunch when we're hungry? Why would we give up meals for three days when we're weary and not drink only water? Why would we sacrificially give above tithing in offerings to God's house and, and give sacrificially to global missions? Why would we do it? He nailed it in the scripture of John. And he says it pretty simple like this. He said, for no greater love hath no man. Man, a man lay down his life for his friends. And said to you and I have to take responsibility. And nobody can pray for Lake and Sawyer, Jillian and Finn like you and I can. Nobody can pray for these preachers like I can. And God forbid that my walk with God can only be about me. And I come to tell you, God forbid that this church, only your prayer surrounds just what you think instead of about these people that's never heard the gospel. We've got to sacrifice so, that, so this city can hear the gospel. Come on, it's giving up some weekends. It's giving up some Saturdays. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. He said, tell my people. They need to sacrifice. Time, talent, and treasure. What are you doing with your time? God said, I want you to sacrifice. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not I, but Christ that lives within me. He said, that was in Galatians, I believe Galatians 2 and 20. He said, 1 Corinthians 15 and 31, he said, I die daily. What was he saying? He said, I bring sacrifice to the altar. Wow, there's a world that's lost. 
There's people that need a miracle. Tonight is going to be an outpouring. But it's not by accident. This, this gentleman right here praying today, it's not just because he's hungry for God. No one comes to God except somebody prays for them. Everybody say, no one comes to God except somebody prays for them. Old song when I'm on clothes. Some, somebody prayed for me. God back home wrote this song. They had me on their mind. They sacrificed their time. They fell down on their knees and prayed for me. I'm so glad that the Lord did bring me out. I'm so glad that somebody prayed for me. Somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They sacrificed their time. They fell down on their knees and prayed for me. I'm so glad that the Lord did bring me out. I'm so glad that somebody prayed for me. Gethsemane's agonies and Gethsemane's produced calvaries which produced resurrection. I'm prophesying to you that if you'll build an altar and start praying, God's going to bring resurrection power to your life. Do you believe that? Resurrection power to your life. Come on. I've been preaching to mom and daddies. I wish they'd come. If you have a kid, if you have a child, I want you to run up to this altar. Come with me to the sacrifice. I'm praying for my kids. Come on. Come on, if you've got a child, you ought to be the first one to the altar. Come on. I'm going to pray him out. The devil deceived him. The devil deceived him through offense and distrust and deception and lust of the flesh. Oh, what's going to happen to my babies if I don't pray him out? Come on, it's inconvenient, but it's worth it. The devil's doing everything he can to get your babies. He's reaching every second, every day, every moment, trying to figure out how to get to your family. I'm praying the enemy out. Come on. Come on. The Lord's leading us to sacrifice. I'm going to fast until I want to pray. I'm going to disconnect from the world until I want to pray. I know it feels awkward, but it's sacrifice. It's not convenient. But the Lord's going to meet you at your sacrifice. Oh, God. My neighbors need you. Oh, God. My family needs you. Oh, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, I want you to lift your voice and pray, oh God.
with her.